Well, brethren, I want to talk with you today about a subject and about a problem that really impacts every one of us, whether you're young, whether you're old. Uh, in fact, it impacts everybody in the world. Everybody in the world. It actually takes the lives of millions of people around the world every year. And it could take your spiritual life if we're not sensitive to what's going on, if we're not alert, if we're not watching. It's a problem that God and Jesus Christ are particularly concerned about, but from a very different perspective than most of us today. It's a subject that we each need to be concerned about, especially as we approach the Passover and the Days of Unleavened Bread. I'd like to start by asking a few questions. This is a challenging podium because it's so steep. (laughs) Everything rolls off to the bottom. When was the last time you had a physical checkup from a doctor? When was the last time you had a physical checkup? Uh, What was your heart rate? What was your blood pressure? What were the results of the physical exam? Were there any concerns that you had? Do you have any concerns if you didn't have a physical checkup? You know, I think I've told this joke before, but uh, this older man and his wife were waking up one morning, and he reaches over and pats her and says, Morning, honey. And she said, No, don't touch me. Don't touch me. He said, What? You're okay. Don't touch me. Don't touch me. What do you mean? What do you mean? Don't touch you. She said, I think I'm dead. <laughs> Why do you think you're dead? She says, because nothing hurts. <laughs> nothing hurts. Now, if you're not 60 or 70, that may not be funny. <laughs> but if you're 70 or 80, you begin to know what I'm talking about. My wife and I were sitting in our chairs by the fire the other day, and I said, how do you feel? She says, nothing hurts. <laughs> nothing hurts. That's what happens as we get older. They talk about the golden age uh, or the better second half. I don't know about that. (laughs) Somebody must have been sleeping when they came up with that. But I had a little story that I heard that this prominent heart surgeon was having problems with his car. So he took it to the garage and he said, well, you guys look at my, my car. My engine's not running right. The guy says, leave it here a couple of days, we'll give you a call. A couple of days later, the mechanic called the surgeon. He said, come on down, we're all done with the car. So he got there and he said, what was the problem? He said, well, we, we took the engine apart, we ground the valves, we put in several new cylinders, we adjusted the timing, we put some new belts uh, on the, uh, <clears throat> new fan belts on, and then we also put some new hoses on the radiator. And when we started up the car, it worked like a charm. It really worked well. He said, well, thank you very much. I'm very impressed. And then the mechanic kind of pushed a little bit because he knew the doctors. Hey, doc, when you do heart operations, do you get results like this that are really tremendous? And he looked at him and he said, well, um, our fields are a little bit different. When I do heart operations in my position, 
I have to do all the repairs with the engine running. Okay. <laughs> you know, sometimes they can do heart operations and stop the heart. But in this case, he said, I can't leave, the en- can't leave the engine not running for two or three days while I fix the heart. <clears throat> you know, car engines need periodic maintenance and repairs, but so does the human heart. So does the human heart. When you think about it, the heart is probably the most important organ in the body. You know, you can live and function if your brain isn't working. A number of us know that. <laughs> you know, I was having a, a conversation one time with Bob Lake. We'd been friends for about 40 years. We were in the office, and we were talking, and then Bob stops middle sentence. He said, now, Doug, what was I talking about? I said, Bob, I don't remember. (laughs) You know, we both had a senior moment at the same time, and that was a disaster. But we can function whenever our brain and our kidneys maybe don't work quite that well. You know, you can lose your eyesight, but you can still function. You can lose your hearing, you can still function. You can lose an arm or a leg or a foot or whatever, and you can still function. But if your heart stops, that's the end of the road. That's all there is. The heart is extremely important. When I was in graduate school, we did a, we created a health promotion radio spot in which we had different people be different voices for different organs in the body. So we get ready around the microphone and we hear an alarm clock go off. And then we hear the brain starts talking. So this is the brain calling everybody. Time to get up, guys. Let's get going. This is lungs start pumping deep because we need to get some oxygenated blood to the heart. And then another voice chimes in. Uh, <clears throat> the brain tells the... The arms and legs, come on, guys, get moving. We need to get the blood circulating, get some of that blood back to the heart. And then you hear, this is the feet calling. Say, hey, brain, we ran 10 miles yesterday. We're sore. We got blisters. Why do we have to get up and get going just for the heart? And then you hear the, the heart chimes in. He says, thanks, guys, for all you're doing, but you need to remember that if I go... You all go. Your heart's extremely important. It's extremely important. You know, for the last year, we've been very concerned about COVID and how many deaths are happening because of COVID. They estimate that probably over 300,000 people in America will have died in the past year because of COVID. But when we realize heart disease is the leading cause of death, not only in this country, but in the world. In the past year, over 700,000 or nearly 700,000 people in America will die of heart disease or diseases related to the heart, whereas COVID will take about 300,000, about half. Heart disease kills more than all the cancers combined. It's a big problem. It's a big problem. 
One of the biggest problems is that heart disease is almost 100% preventable. Almost 100% preventable. It could be prevented if we just took certain steps uh, and followed those steps. You know, health textbooks talk about important physical things that we can do to prevent heart disease. Regular exercise. You know, we're a nation of couch potatoes today. That's not a vegetable. Well, maybe it is. <laughs> but we sit a lot. We sit a lot, and then that creates problems. We need to do regular exercise. Um, <clears throat> we need to make wise diet choices. If you eat too much fat, fat contains a lot of calories. If you consume too many calories, you look in the mirror and you recognize, well, that's a calorie and that's a calorie and that's a calorie. And these things build up, but it creates problems. Learning how to manage stress. Learning how to manage stress. If we can do that, that reduces our risk of heart disease. These are things that we can do. You know, the human heart is important to God. The human heart is also important to God. Uh, <clears throat> the Bible actually has much to say about heart disease. And it also talks an awful lot about spiritual heart disease. Spiritual heart disease, which is another ballpark altogether. The scriptures tell us that God looks on the heart. We'll get to some of these in a little bit. That God tests the heart. It also tells us that God is going to give us a new heart. Now, what do these things mean? As we approach the days of unleavened bread, we are told to examine ourselves, which means examining our hearts. Turn, if you would, to 1 Corinthians. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and we'll be reading this probably numerous times through the <clears throat> Passover and days of unleavened bread. But if we start in verse, <clears throat> start in verse 23, Paul is talking to the church in Corinth, because I want to put this in the context of the days of unleavened bread and the Passover. Paul says, For I received from the Lord that which I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it saying, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. And we can be forgiven of our sins and healed of our diseases because of the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made for us. He said, do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. This do also in remembrance of me as often as you do it, in remembrance of me. And down in verse 27, he says, Therefore, whoever eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the blood and the body of Jesus Christ. But then in verse 28, and this is our instruction as we go through these days, let a man or let a person examine himself. This is something you have to do for yourself. I can't do it for you. And for those of you young people that have not been baptized yet, you're not going to be at the Passover, you can still examine yourselves. You can still examine yourselves, and we'll talk about some of those things through the sermon. 
So let a person examine himself, and so let him eat or drink of the eat of the bread, drink of the cup. For whoever eats and drinks in an unworthy manner, taking it lightly, taking it lightly, eats and drinks a judgment to himself. For this reason, many are weak, many are sick among you. You know, many of us are sick today because we don't follow the laws that God has given us that our body operates on. I've got a friend I went to high school with. He got a phone call from his wife last Friday. And he said, you know, your friend is in a hospital. He's got pancreatic cancer. And he's probably not going to live that long. Now, we grew up together. His dad got him a pony, and we used to ride that little pony until it was about ready to quit and wear out. Uh, you know, we went to the same church, sang in choirs together. We've kept in touch with each other over the years. Uh, but he may not make it out of the hospital. But he did some things. He did some things that he should have done differently. And now there's consequences for that. It says here, he that eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, if we would examine ourselves, we'd look in the mirror and say, look, I don't like that person in there because I don't recognize them. I need to talk to you (laughs) and make some changes. If we would judge ourselves, we are chastened by the Lord that we not be condemned with the world. So as we approach the Days of Unleavened Bread in the Passover, look in the mirror. See if there's things you could do differently. We'll talk about some of those things in the context of the sermon. So in the sermon today, I want to discuss how each of us can examine the condition of our hearts. How each of us can examine the condition of our hearts. And let's notice what God is looking for in our hearts and how we can prevent spiritual heart disease. Spiritual heart disease. And that's the title that I've chosen for today. Preventing spiritual heart disease. Because the Bible talks about both physical and spiritual principles. But the spiritual things are really the most important. So what does God have to say about our heart? Uh, You turn back to 1 Samuel 16 and verse 7. 1 Samuel 16 and verse 7. I want to talk a little bit more about some of these scriptures here in 1 Samuel. But I want to just focus on one. 1 Samuel 16 and verse 7. <clears throat> Samuel is looking to anoint someone. <clears> he <throat> said, but... The Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or in his physical stature, because I've refused him. For the Lord does not see man or see see people as uh, God does. For man looks on the heart, but the Lord looks, excuse me, uh, man looks on the appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. God looks on the heart. He's looking into our hearts. He wants to see what's in our heart. Uh, And we'll find out why. 
And there's a context to this scripture here in 1 Samuel that we'll come back to in just a little bit. But God looks on the heart. He wants to see what's in our heart. He wants to see what we're thinking about. He wants to see what our attitude is. And these things are important because they're going to influence whether or not we gain eternal life. Because it depends on what's in our heart. Proverbs 27, verse 19, you don't need to turn there, but another interesting scripture that gives us a perception of what God is looking for. Proverbs 27, verse 19, it says, As water reflects the face. Have you ever looked into a, a very clear a stream or a clear lake, there's no ripples or anything, and you can see yourself staring back at yourself. As water reflects the face, so man's heart reveals a man. So a man or a person's heart reveals who that person is. It reveals who we are. It reveals our character. You know, the Bible mentions the word heart. Over a thousand times. Over a thousand times. And the Bible contains some very important principles for physical health of the heart. You know, we published a booklet recently on biblical principles of health. Um, might be good to review periodically, maybe even during the days of unleavened bread. What do I need to change? <laughs> What do I need to change about my diet, about my, my lifestyle? Just a couple of scriptures. Again, you don't have to turn there. This is all in the booklet. But it mentions in Leviticus 3, verse 17, Leviticus 3, 17, it says, Eat neither fat nor blood. Because both of these things, too much fat in your diet is going to create problems. Uh, <clears throat> eating blood products. You know, my background to a degree is German. I had an uncle at a farm. And he used to butcher a couple of cows and a couple of pigs <laughs> every year. And he would supply us with pig sausage and liver sausage. And uh, uh, some of you Germans don't start lusting after these things. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> but that was just what we did. We never questioned it. We just ate it. We just ate it. And when we moved to Georgia, um, <clears throat> we bought a little can. It said possum fixings. <laughs> no possum in the can, you had to get your own. <laughs> but this was just vegetables that you mixed with it. Um, and some people uh, pick up roadkill here and there and bring it home. Just, these are things we did growing up without really thinking about it very much. And yet the Bible says, no, there are certain things we don't eat. Unclean foods, in this particular case, don't eat fat, don't eat blood. Proverbs 25, twice, verse 16 and verse 27, talks about going easy on sweets. You have a little bit of honey, well, that's fine. You know, when I came into the church, I was cooking for myself, and I thought, well, honey is good, I'll just have a big tablespoonful every night. <laughs> Not the best thing to do, because you're pumping in all this sugar into your bloodstream, and, and you do that too much, you're going to wear out your pancreas. Because a little bit, and again, the scripture says, a little bit of honey is good, but you're going to vomit it up if you eat too much of it. So it's the balance that's there, that's needed. 1 Timothy 4, verse 8. And again, when you read the old Kings, it's King James, it says, you know, <clears throat> exercise profits a little. But there are other things that are more important. That doesn't mean exercise is not important. 
It profits for a little while. It profits for a little while. You'll get an exercise program. It'll take you about 30 days to get in fairly decent shape. But you stop exercising for a week, you're going to lose most of that. So it takes you 30 days to get in shape, and then you lose it in a week if you stop exercising. These are just things we have to do if we want to have a healthy heart. Uh, But again, the Bible says there's more important things than exercise. Now, Paul was writing in the Roman Empire, had a Greek influence there. Everybody had uh, baths that they could do and exercise rooms. We went through a, a, a big spa someplace in Germany a number of years ago, and they had hot water baths, lukewarm water baths, cold water baths, steam baths, exercise, all kind of things. It was as big as this room. It was as big as this room. But this was the, the environment that Paul was writing in. He said, but there's more important things. There's more important things than exercise. Matthew 4.19, <clears throat> Jesus said, follow me. He said, follow me. Now, Jesus prayed, and he taught his disciples to pray. Uh, Jesus uh, taught, his, he taught his disciples, and then he taught them what to teach. Uh, Jesus healed people, and he taught his disciples how to heal people, gave them that power. Uh, Jesus worked. He just didn't sit around, um, as some of these flagpole sitters used to sit back in the Middle Ages, the pillar saints that just sat up there and argued with another guy sitting on another pillar. (laughs) Jesus wasn't a monk or a nun. He just didn't sit around and pray all day. He worked. He was physically active, physically active. Many of our jobs today are not physically active, so we've got to get some exercise. We've got to do something. But Jesus also walked every place he went. He didn't have a sports car to hop in and roar down the road. I'm amazed at how some people are driving on the freeways anymore. I came up here, I think it was last week. Some guy, I heard him coming. It was one of the little sports cars with a big muffler. I heard him coming behind me, cut in front of me, went around the car that was in front of him, and in and out, and I heard him going down the freeway. I thought, this is not Indianapolis 500, I don't think. They're driving like crazy. But Jesus walked every place he went. Now, when he walked from Nazareth up to Jerusalem and back three times a year, it was about 75 miles each way. So he clocked about 450 miles a year just walking, going to the holy days. And you figure then he, he didn't have a power saw or a power drill or a jackhammer. He did it all. He was very physically active. And it says he never sinned, which the implication is he never, never broke the health laws of God, the physical health laws of God. But this is all in the Bible. You know, most people think with the Old Testament and stuff like that, we're, we're into spiritual things. We're not into physical things. But brethren, we're living in a physical world. We have physical bodies. We have to take care of that body that God has given us. The sooner we learn to follow these biblical health principles, the better our health is going to be. <clears throat> but the Bible has another dimension, and this is what I want to focus on more in the sermon today. <clears throat> God is interested in more than just the physical condition of our heart. 
God is concerned with the spiritual condition of our heart. And this doesn't matter whether you're 18 years old or 80 years old. I'm pushing that number. I'm not quite up to Mr. Ames yet, but uh, uh, we're both over the hill, I guess. (laughs) We're heading in that direction, let's put it that way. But, you know, if you can grow older with a sense of humor, you'll be a lot better off. Than coming and becoming an angry, I don't know, you know fussy at everybody. Um, but we have that tendency. I was talking to another individual who is, is has passed the uh, octogenarian mark, and he made the comment. He said, "You know, I find I'm getting bugged by more things now than I used to." So <clears throat> that's something as we get older, we need to be careful about and not get too uh, <clears throat> ornery. But God is concerned about the the spiritual condition of our heart. Because if it's not in good condition, we could lose our eternal life. We could lose our eternal life if we pick up a spiritual disease that affects our heart. So we need to think about these things. Okay, very briefly, what does the Bible mean when it says heart? When we read that word heart. Is talking a lot about <clears throat> a lot more, talking about a lot more than just our physical beating heart. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word is lib, L-E-B. The Hebrew word that is translated heart is L-E-B, L-E-B as in boy. But not only means heart, it means the mind. It means the mind. It means our thoughts. It means what we think about. It means the inner person, this person inside us that thinks and acts and functions. <clears throat> and it can mean your conscience. In other words, what are you thinking about? Are you worried about this? Are you worried about that? Or are you not worried about anything? Your conscience. In the New Testament, the Greek word is something that we recognize very very readily. It's cardia, K-A-R-D-I-A, cardia. We talk about cardiac arrest. It's talking about the heart stopping. An EKG, an electrocardiogram, where it measures what's going on in your heart. So the Greek word in the New Testament is cardia, but it means the same thing as the Old Testament word. It means your heart. It means your mind. So when you're reading that verse about a heart, it's talking about what's going on in your mind, your thinking, what you are thinking about. You know, Paul mentions about bringing every thought into subjection. In other words, you control what you're going to think about. It means your inner self. In other words, who you are, what you are. You can ask the question, who do you want to be? Who do you want to be? Do you want to be like Jesus Christ? Or do you want to be like some rock star? Or somebody in your neighborhood that's really tough? Or something? Talks about your character. What kind of character do you want to develop? What kind of character are you developing? If you're not sure, ask somebody who's close to you. Ask your wife, ask your husband, ask your kids. What kind of character am I? Well, Dad, we can't say. (laughs) We don't want to say. We'll get in trouble. 
Now, again, I'm joking here, but how we act every day, what we say, what we think about, God sees because he looks on our heart. He understands. You know, there are certain qualities that God looks for in our heart, and these qualities reveal who we are. It's like the water reflects your appearance. This is the water reflects your appearance. What goes on in our heart reflects who we are. God is looking for individuals, men and women, after his own heart. After his own heart. You were told in Acts 13, verse 22, that David was a man after God's own heart. Now, David wasn't perfect. David made mistakes. But when he did make a mistake, he repented deeply of that mistake. He did not want to be that way. Paul mentions also in the New Testament, he he wants to be one thing, but he realizes, (laughs) I'm still slipping back here, slipping back there. So Paul struggled, just as we are going to have to struggle. And as we go through the days of unleavened bread, if we do that right, if we take time to examine ourselves, we're going to come out of the days of unleavened bread a different person, with a different perspective, with a different perspective. You know, our challenge right now, if we hope to be in the kingdom of God and rule with Jesus Christ, our challenge right now is to become a man or a woman, a young woman, a young man, a boy, a girl, with a heart after God's own heart. It's got to be our goal. I want to be like Jesus Christ. That's very different from Satan's attitude. I'm going to be like God. I'm going to take his throne. No, but to want to be like Jesus Christ, to be want to, want to be uh, walking in his footsteps, this needs to be our goal. It needs to be our goal. A couple of scriptures along this line. Let's turn to those quickly in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5. Now, these are just principles. These are spiritual principles that relate to our heart and our minds. <clears throat> Philippians 2.5 really should be a, a memory verse. <clears throat> Paul is talking to the church here in Philippi. He mentions in verse 5, he says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Jesus Christ. Or we could say, let this heart be in you that was also in Jesus Christ, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. He actually came in the likeness of men. I think there's an issue going around in some of the places where Jesus Christ never became a man. Well, he did. He walked, he talked, he ate food, took a bath. He did become a man, but he was also God. But he made himself of no reputation. You know, I had a young fellow who was in college, one of the churches that I pastored. He was a journalism major. And uh, he started attending, and I said, look, uh, you're majoring in journalism. We'd like to have somebody write up an article on the church periodically and send it into, at that time it was Pasadena, to write about the church. 
He said, not interested. I said, what? I said, you got a journalism degree and you're not interested? No, the job's not big enough for me. The job is not big enough for me. Yet Jesus took on the form of a servant. The form of a servant is willing to help, willing to help wherever, as opposed to wanting to be noticed. Had another guy who was already a deacon, and we'd moved to a new church building. It was along on Main Street, and there were people coming in off the street because it was a church building. And I said, would you just kind of take over the welcoming committee or the, that's there at the front door to kind of deal politely with these people that are coming here after a handout, but we're not here to give handouts? He said, no, I've done that before. I've done that before. I, I, I'd like something bigger. I thought, a deacon means a servant. It's willing to jump in and, and help out. But it was kind of, no, I've done that before. The attitude of a servant just wasn't there. There was something in his heart that wasn't there. But here we're to have the mind or the heart of Jesus Christ. Verse 8, and being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death. You know, when he was on the cross, he said, Father, do we have to do it this way? But your will, not my will. He did what he was asked to do. You know, John the Baptist could have put up a, a real fight. Uh, <clears throat> He prepared the way for, try, for Jesus Christ to come and then had his head cut off. He goes, hey God, look what I did. <laughs> I, I, I stayed true to everything. But his job was over. When he comes up in the resurrection, he's going to be a very live person. But his job was over at that time. It wouldn't have worked too good probably to have John the Baptist with his ministry and then Christ with his ministry that his job was over. He didn't complain about it. It was done. But we're to have this mind. Verse 9, what happens if we have the mind of God, the mind of Jesus Christ? Therefore God has highly exalted him and given him the name of which is above every other name, that in the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven, those on earth, and those under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord. He's the boss. You know, if we have this mind, then God is going to be able to give us all kinds of things. He's going to need a person to be the mayor of Charlotte, if Charlotte is still around <laughs> at that time. He's going to need a person to be the governor of North Carolina, of South Carolina. He's going to need a president of the United States, whatever that is going to be. You and I have been called to train for these jobs now. And if we get hung up over, well, I, I didn't get to do the songbooks. You know, I, I didn't get to do this or that. They ordained them instead of me. Uh, we're not going to be ready for the job that God wants to give us. And this goes for you young people, too. What do you want to be? What would you like to do in the kingdom of God? First of all, do you want to be in the kingdom of God? Or is that just that mom and dad's idea? I want to have fun right now. You know, this, this nation, this, this society is going down the tubes. And it might not be that much longer. This is going to be over. 
When Christ returns, he's going to need a staff of people, individuals that he can trust to put various in various places. And he's looking at our hearts today to see what is in our heart. You know, Samuel is a child. He was donated to the to the, the priest by his mom as a little child. He was sleeping one night and he heard this voice and he came running into, what was it, Eli? He said, Eli, Eli, here I am. Eli said, I didn't call you. I didn't call you. And this was a kid. What, four, five, six years of age maybe? He said, go back to bed. So he goes back to bed and he hears this noise again. Samuel, Samuel. He runs out to Eli, here I am. You see a little kid doing that? Here I am. Eli said, I didn't call you. He said, you go back and listen. You go back and listen. God was working with Samuel as a child. He was working with Samuel as a child. And he'll work with you, especially if he senses from your heart that you want to be like Jesus Christ. You want to be in his kingdom. Let him work with you. Let him work with you and do what your part is. Do what your part is. In 1 John 3, verses 1 to 3, it says, Now we are children. Now we are children, but we can become like him. We can become like him. You know, when Christ was transfigured in front of several of his disciples, they saw this, what was standing in that spot, a human being, and all of a sudden he radiated energy. Just like somebody plugged in a 220-volt light bulb or something. And then all of a sudden he was just back to normal. But he was transfigured in front of them. And we said, you can become like me. You can become a spirit being like me, radiating energy. You know, as we get older, our teeth fall out, our hair falls out, and we limp around and bump around and bump into walls and all kinds of things like that, exciting things. <laughs> now, nobody knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> but we're not going to be that way. When Christ returns, we're going to be totally different beings. If you're a young person, you happen to be in the first resurrection, you're not going to have to go through all these wonderful things that us old people go through. But it's going to be exciting. It's going to be exciting. And you can focus on that as a young person. You don't have to do all the bad things that everybody does and burn their fingers and get all messed up. It's sad watching young kids grow up that are bright and fresh and so on, and then they got to get away from the church. Got to get out from under mom and dad. They got to get out there where really all the real fun is. And then sometimes 10 years later, 15 years later, 20 years later, don't I recognize you? Yeah. I was in your congregation. What happened? I don't want to say. But they saw the grass on the other side of the fence and they thought it was so wonderful because it looked so green. And they got out there and then they found there were snakes out there. There's all kind of bad stuff out there. You can learn the hard way or you can learn the easy way by listening and motivating your heart to go in a different direction. Notice in Psalm 7 and verse 9, 
Psalm 7 and verse 9. We're just looking up some of the verses where it talks about the heart. Might be an interesting Bible study to just look up the word heart in a number of different places. Notice what it says. Psalm 7 and verse 9. It says, Oh, let the wickedness of the wicked come to an end. And that's coming. Not too many years up ahead of us, maybe even less than that. Oh, let the wickedness of the wicked come to an end, but establish the just. Establish the just. Put your stamp of approval on the just. For the righteous God tests the hearts and minds. God will allow us to experience all kinds of things because he wants to see how we're going to react. Are we going to react as Jesus Christ would react? Or are we going to lose it? Are we going to be drawn over here or drawn over there? God wants to see. You know, Abraham and Sarah were childless. <clears throat> God made certain promises to them. And then they tried to work it out on their own. They tried to work things out on their own. It didn't work out. And then <clears throat> Sarah conceived. Wow, we got a child. Then raise that child, probably be, what, 17, 18, 19, something like that. And then it says, Abraham... I want you to take your son and offer him as a sacrifice. What? That was not Abraham's reaction. He said, he may not have been overly happy, but off he went. And then he allowed Abraham and Isaac to gather some wood, build an altar. That 20-year-old guy allowed his dad to tie him up. Dad, what are you doing? You'll find out. Yeah. <laughs> this doesn't look real good. He's laying there. Abraham gets a knife and is about ready, and then God says, Now I know. There's that ram in the bushes over there. Now I know what's in your heart. What's in your heart? He wanted to find out who was going to become the father of the faithful. Would he be faithful? And God is going to give us opportunities to find out if we will be faithful. But he's got to know if he's going to give us eternal life. He's got to know what's going on up here in our mind, in our hearts. <clears throat> so when you see that word in the Bible, heart, it means your thoughts. It means what you're thinking it means what's going on in your mind. And you need to think about that when you're reading these scriptures. What's going on in your mind, your attitude. I wish that guy giving a sermon today would hurry up and finish. God sees that. <laughs> if you're here under duress, he knows that. Is he going to give eternal life to someone who's here under duress? Well, I don't really want to be here. I don't think this guy's jokes are funny at all. <laughs> you know, God sees those things. Or when he looks in your heart, does he see in your heart, I want to be in the kingdom of God? There isn't any price I'm not willing to pay. That's where I want to be. That's what I want to do. I want to help change the world. I don't want to stick around here too long. 
as this thing goes down the tubes. I want to be in the kingdom of God. And that can be as a child, as a young person. I want to be there. I want to be there. You know, in Matthew 6.33, Jesus told his disciples, Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first. Make that your, your primary goal. You know, it's, you want to come up with some ideas for a career and education and so on, but maybe think a little bit deeper. How can I use what I'm going to do in the coming kingdom of God? You know, if your goal is to be a poker player in a big casino, that ain't going to be around. You're going to have to be re-educated if you make it into the kingdom as a, as a poker player. No, think about it. What would be useful now, 10 years from now, and in the kingdom of God? Yeah, I wanted to be a medical doctor. I broke my neck in a swimming accident in college. I spent about a month in the hospital, and I saw these doctors walking around with their white coats on, and I heard everybody, good morning, doctor, good morning, doctor, good morning, doctor. And I thought, wow, that would be pretty cool. Because we put on white coats, too, and we went down to eat in the cafeteria. People were saying to us as college students, good morning, doctor, good morning, doctor. That was not the, that's not a reason. I always wanted to be a teacher until I found out that they didn't get paid in the summertime. <laughs> then I had to kind of rethink. But to teach people uh, how to live how to take care of their bodies. That's what I wound up doing for 20, 30 years. And I actually had a physician. I had him come in and talk to my health education class. It was a stop smoking, how to prevent alcohol and drug abuse type of class. And um, I asked him, to, and he was a thoracic surgeon. I wanted him to talk a little bit about what he does, you know, cutting people's lungs out. And so uh, he said, what's your class all about? And I said, it's health promotion. Disease prevention. And he kind of, well, that's interesting. But after he gave his talk, he said, uh, you know, I, I can see what you're doing here. You're trying to help people avoid the problems. I said, exactly. He said, you know, I'd almost like to tra- trade you jobs. He said, I cut people's lungs out every day, and it's not helping the situation. I said, would you trade salaries? <laughs> He looked at me, are you kidding? (laughs) I said, no. (laughs) But here's a guy, he's in a profession, he's making plenty of money, but just cutting people's lungs out. He's got plenty of clients. But I think it was frustrating to him because he realized that this isn't solving the problem. This isn't solving the problem. So what can we do to recognize the... The, the symptoms of spiritual heart problems. What can we do to recognize the symptoms of spiritual heart problems? There's a number of examples. <clears throat> Let me just summarize some of these scriptures from 1 Samuel. From 1 Samuel about 10 to about 16, it's talking about Saul. You know, Saul was a very impressive guy, head and shoulders above everybody else in his tribe. The Israelites wanted a king. So God gives them Saul. Here's this big, impressive guy, uh, humble to begin with. 
Well, maybe we should go back there. First Samuel chapter 10. God knew what he was doing, but I think he also wanted to teach the Israelites a lesson, help them learn that there's more than just physical appearance. There's more than just physical appearance. <clears throat> Samuel comes and he anoints Saul. In verse 9, it says, So it was when he had turned his back and went from Samuel that God gave him another heart. In other words, he was uh, anointed. He was um, anointed by Samuel. It says, God gave him another heart. Verse 10, when they came there to the where the prophets were on this hill, then the Spirit of God came upon Saul, and he prophesied. So he was given God's Spirit, but he, came, he became a different person. You know, when you are baptized, you come into the church, your life begins to change, and people may look at you and say, you're different. You're different. What happened? What happened? Yeah, you received God's spirit. You became a different person. Your perspective changed. Your values changed. Maybe you like pork sausage, and you realize, I'm not going to eat that anymore. But people notice the change. You know, some of you, if you lived a very decent life, maybe they didn't notice that much. You didn't make these great big changes, but there was a change that occurred in your heart and in your mind. Saul took, took, took certain liberties. He was told not to do certain things. The priest will do that. You do your job. But then he said, well, I felt compelled. I just had to do that. Well, he felt compelled to go contrary to God's instructions. And as a result, he lost his kingship. And it says a different spirit came on Saul. Whenever David was anointed king, when David was anointed king, God's spirit came on him. God's spirit left Saul, and it says an evil spirit came. And he became very accusative, very worried, very uptight, became a different person. He became a different person. David then received God's spirit. Uh, He functioned very well until he got in a moment of weakness. He was up on the roof. Now, over here, we don't get up on our roofs. (laughs) But if you spend some time in the Middle East, the roofs are flat, and people go up on the roof uh, whenever it's hot inside. And David was up on the roof, and he saw this woman down below the palace. He should have said, oh, no, I can't be looking over there. But he didn't. So in a moment of weakness, in an unguarded moment, he sent a message. He said, hey, why don't you come up and talk a little bit? And one thing led to another. And he wound up plotting the murder of the, the woman's husband, committing adultery. And then there were consequences. But this was what happened in a moment. And some of you probably all have your own stories about what I did when I wasn't really thinking. You know, I've talked to people that have had problems with alcohol and said, you know, I was out last night. I don't remember a thing I did. You don't remember a thing that you did. 
So what did you do? I don't know. And the police car pulls in the driveway. (laughs) Where were you last night? I don't remember. Somebody was killed last night. They saw you there. I don't remember where something else happened. You know, God knows what's in our heart. He wants us to focus in the right direction. You know, David messed up. But David had an attitude we can read about in Psalm 51. David had an attitude in Psalm 51 that God saw and heard. I encourage you to read the whole thing. But he starts out, have mercy on me, O God, according to your loving kindness. And when we mess up, we can ask God, God, please be merciful. I'm sorry. I really did mess up. Uh, I want to change. Now, these are the things we need to talk to God about during the Days of Unleavened Bread. Chances are your, your, your past year wasn't perfect. But that's why Christ died for us, so that we can ask for forgiveness. You know, I had this story with Dr. Scott when he was little. <clears throat> we had two boys at that time. We were in a Fedco. It's like a Costco back here. And uh, my wife was doing some shopping, and I had the boys that uh, I'm carrying the little one, the Sean, the youngest one. And I gave Scott the shopping cart, and he was pushing it. I said, Scott, don't swing it back and forth, because he was, you, know, you can do all kinds of things with shopping carts. <laughs> I said, Scott, don't swing it. And then I walked up an aisle uh, looking at something. I heard this crash and bottles breaking and whatever, and it was where Scott was. So I figured, okay. So I went back there. Here's the, the, the buggy, the, the basket, buried in a ketchup display <laughs> that was on the end of an aisle. And about that time, the manager came running up, and he's starting to clean up. I said, how much is this going to cost me? He said, don't worry about it. We have insurance. So I didn't say a thing. We went through the line, checked out. I didn't say anything to Scott. <clears throat> we got in the car. I didn't say anything to Scott. We got home, we brought the groceries in, and Scott, I'd like to talk with you. Come on into the, the, the den here and sit down, and we'll talk. I said, Scott, what should a dad do who had told his son not to swing the shopping cart? And he did. Scott says, give him another chance. <laughs> give him another chance. He's a diplomat. <laughs> Has been since he was born. (laughs) But, you know, we can go to God the same way. God, I'm sorry. I I messed up. I don't want to do this again. Please help me do that. David is asking here, have mercy on me, O God, according to your loving kindness. Verse 6. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts. This is what you're looking for. You know, when your kids get into something and they get in a fight or whatever, and you come out and say, okay, who did this? Not me. Not me. He did it. She did it. They all couldn't have done it. (laughs) Somebody had to be telling the truth, and somebody was probably not telling the truth. God wants to see the truth. If we just say, look, I messed up. I'm sorry. That's what David did. But notice in verse 7, purge me, clean me up. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I'll be whiter than snow. Verse 10, create in me a clean heart. Create in me a clean heart. 
that looks for the, the good, that wants to do the good. <clears throat> Proverbs, um, verse 11, do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. David probably saw what happened with Saul. He became a different person when God's Spirit left him and this evil spirit came on him. He saw what happened. He said, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you, as he mentions here. You know, there are numerous examples of what people have done being influenced by a different spirit. I'd like to focus next on what we can do to prevent spiritual prevent spiritual heart attacks, and prevent spiritual heart disease. Let me just give you the scriptures so we don't run out of time. I thought about quitting early and letting Mr. McNair come up and give a a second sermonette, but I guess we'll not do that. We'll probably make it. Um, I found enough to fill up my uh, impromptu sermon. Now, what can we do to prevent spiritual heart attacks, or um, spiritual heart disease. Number one, 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. 1 Peter 5, verse 8 and 9 talks about being vigilant, being alert, to recognize and resist Satan's attempts to, to, uh, to tempt us. If you ever decided to fast and then somebody calls you up and asks you to come over for dinner... Anybody had that experience? <laughs> you're going to fast and you're real serious about it, and then somebody you haven't even seen <laughs> in six months calls you up. And, oh, we're just thinking about you. We'd like you to come over and have dinner with us. So what are your priorities? Well, I can fast tomorrow. Or you could say, you know, I have another engagement. I would love to take up your invitation uh, maybe next week. But God sees what's in our hearts. It's not that big a deal, maybe, but it could be. <clears throat> be alert and recognize what Satan's going to try to He wants to destroy us. Satan has talked about like a roaring lion. A roaring lion. I stayed in a hotel on the south coast of England. We were checking out some different hotels for some fee sites over there. And I checked in late at night and... Uh, I woke up about 4 o'clock in the morning with this big rawr, and the, the, wind, the windows started to shake. I thought, what, what, what's going on here? There was a World War II fort next door that they had put lions in and had a lion display in there, but it was right next to the hotel. <laughs> I didn't see that the night before, <laughs> but I sure found out about it about 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning. It was, It just shook you out of a very sound sleep. But Satan is like that, except lions don't run around and say, Ah, I'm going to get you. Ah. No, they sneak up. And they notice who's not looking or who's limping. And then they're on them. And then they growl. (laughs) Got them. But Satan is like that. We need to be aware we've been called to become part of God's family. 
God wants us to be in the kingdom, but Satan doesn't. And he will go after us in any way that he can. You know, the parable of the sower, Matthew 13. Some people had trials, and Satan got to them through the trial. Well, if God is God of love, why is he allowing this to happen? Or the cares of the world. The cares of the world can get to you. Well, I can't tithe because, you know, I just bought a new house. Or this or that. I was chatting with the minister one time when things were beginning to change in the Worldwide Church of God. I was teaching in Big Sandy, and we went to an outlying congregation. And um, the minister's job was to read some of the announcements, and he read some of the announcements uh, from Mr. Dukach. And afterwards, we went out to dinner. I said, you know, I could not have read those announcements in good conscience because of what was being said. He said, well, well, well. We just put an addition on the house, and I can't afford to lose my job right now. So he was promoting some of these ideas that were changing the church in a very different direction because he had a little bit different priorities. His his priorities were different. So it's not surprising that people went in different directions. But Satan is out to get us. We need to remember that. We need to be alert. Philippians 4, verse 7 and 8 talks about the same type of thing. That we've got to guard our hearts. We've got to guard our hearts. We've got to guard our minds. You know, I've used this example with our boys one time up in Massachusetts. They were early teens. We were walking up the stairs. We've been downstairs by a fireplace. Uh, Friday evening, we're walking upstairs. I was, I was first. <clears throat> One of the boys was second. Another boy was at the bottom. And I heard this, oh! And I turned around, and the boy at the bottom said, my brother just kicked me in the stomach. And I grabbed the other boy, and I said, why did you do that? He said, I don't know. I just felt like it. <laughs> turned around and kicked his brother in the stomach. I said, who do you think would put a thought like that in your mind to kick your brother? He said, I think I know. I said, look, a lesson in life. You don't act on every thought that comes into your mind. You don't act on every thought that comes in. You have to filter it. Say, no, I'm not going to think about that. I'm not going to do it that way. David didn't. Stop the thought that came in his mind. Hmm, scenery's better over there. He should have said, no, 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 no. Can't do it. Can't do it. I'm not going to do that. See, Satan tries to influence our thoughts. Number two, another way that we can prevent spiritual heart attacks and spiritual heart disease. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 11 to 18. Ephesians 6, 11 to 18 talks about putting on the whole armor of God. And I would encourage you to go home, read that scripture, and then look up the different things that are mentioned there. It talks about putting on truth. Focus on truth. John 17, 17, Jesus said, your word is truth. This is the book. This has got the truth in it. 
the truth about God, the truth about Satan, the truth about creation, the truth about raising children, truth about marriage, all kinds of things. This has got to become the book that we spend time on. It's got to be the book that we spend time on. Truth is extremely important. Part of the armor of God is righteousness. Righteousness. Psalm 119, verse 172 says, All thy commandments are righteousness. Are righteousness. Read the booklet. It's one of the assignments I wanted to give you at the end of the sermon. Go through the Ten Commandments. Read one or two chapters a day during the Days of Unleavened Bread. Read it. Think about it. And hold it up as a mirror. Am I doing it that way? Am I doing it that way? Could I do better that way? But righteousness is extremely important. Faith, do you trust God? Do you trust his word? Think about it. Think about it. And determine to trust God. Determine to follow God. Your 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Study and apply rightly, correctly, the word of God. You can't apply it correctly if you don't know what's in the book. But spend some time reading the Bible every day, every day. <clears throat> Number three, <clears throat> seek God with a whole heart. Seek God with a whole heart. Deuteronomy 4, verse 29. God, I want to be in the kingdom of God. God, I want to be like you. I want to do things your way. But seek God with all your heart. With all your heart. Number four, pray. Pray every day. 1 Thessalonians 5.17. Paul is telling the church of Thessalonica, pray always. Pray without ceasing. You know, before we had GPSs, whenever I was visiting or making visits up in New England, you know, they, they paved cow paths up there, and those became the streets. <laughs> those became the roads, and they're all over everywhere. Uh, they were just putting in some interstate highways when we were living up there. But before we had a GPS, I would pray, God, please help me find this particular address. And I would look up, and there was the street. <laughs> Because I could get to the general area, but after that I was lost. Another time I was looking for telephone poles. If you drive through the country, the telephone poles have numbers on them. This guy said, look, we live right by telephone pole number 372 or something like that. So I'm going along with my flashlight. (laughs) Got it, there's 372. But I prayed for help that way because they didn't have GPSs at that time. That's how old I am. (laughs) But, you know, seek God with all your heart. Pray. David said, Psalm 55 and verse 17, Psalm 55, verse 17, he prayed morning, noon, and evening. He prayed morning, noon, and evening. Take time to pray and ask God for guidance. Ask God for guidance. Number five, we talked about faith. We need faith to please God. Number six, David had an attitude. Psalm 119, verse 12. He says, teach me, show me, help me. 
Teach me. Be a, be a teachable person. Along with this goes a number of Proverbs. Proverbs uh, <clears throat> chapter 1, verses 5 through 9. It says, A wise person will listen, but fools reject advice. Wise people listen. You know, get advice when you're making big decisions. You're thinking about a career. Talk to your mom and dad. What do you think I'd be good at? You know, get some advice from a career counselor. Um, get advice. <clears throat> making big decisions. By getting married for young people. Well, I found the perfect guy. And don't, don't go give me any advice. Or I found the perfect girl. Don't, don't mess up my dreams. Get advice. Get advice. Mom, Dad, what do you think? <laughs> or, mm. but get advice. These are big decisions. These are big decisions. Get advice. You know, at Ambassador College, we used to encourage the guys, don't get married before you're, until you're about 24, 25, 26, something like that. And the girls... Wait until you're about 22, 23. Why? Why? Very simple. Your perspectives will change between 18 and 19 and 23, 24, 25. What was important to you at that age will probably change. You know, in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, it says there's a time to be born. A time to die, a time to rejoice, and a time to cry, and a time to get married, and a time not to get married. You know, if it's good and right at a certain age, it'll be just as good and right a year or two later, maybe when you're both not working at McDonald's. I had a young kid come up to me one time in one of the churches I was pastoring. He said, uh, you know, I didn't see you last week. Oh, I was in another church. I found a girl. We're going to get married. I said, do you have a job? And it was kind of like, what? What? <laughs> is that a requirement? If you want to eat, it probably is. But take some time. Take some time. Take some time. Get some advice. Um, but, you know, I'm Annie, and I'm from Australia, and I met this guy, Ned, from New York, and we want to get married. Well, great, but where are you going to live? How often will your kids see their grandparents? I never thought about that whenever I got married. I don't think many of the kids at Ambassador College did either. It was just we were in this little world. But, you know, we've had the blessing of having both our boys and five grandkids here in Charlotte for the last 10 years. And to have the grandkids come in the back door, Grandma, Grandpa, where are you? They had a stable environment. My wife and I invented aunts and uncles for our boys because my wife's parents lived in California and mine lived in, uh, in, where was it, Pennsylvania. Our youngest son moved here because he said, Dad, we're not inventing aunts and uncles for my kids. I mean, these are just some things to think about. Just some things to think about.
I wasn't thinking that way whenever we got married. But think about some of these things. Talk these things over. Get some input before you make these big decisions. Point number seven, and we'll quit here. Respond to correction. Respond to correction. David responded. You can read that in Psalm 51. He responded to correction. What we've been talking about here is spiritual heart disease and ways that we can avoid, ways that we can prevent spiritual heart disease. You know, the world is concerned about the COVID pandemic. COVID has taken about 300,000 lives in America in the last year. Heart disease has taken the lives of over seven, about 700,000, almost twice as many. It's a much bigger problem. The Bible contains prevention measures for physical heart disease as well as recognizing spiritual heart disease. During the Passover and the Days of Unleavened Bread, we're commanded to take time to examine ourselves, to sit down. And just read, read through the Ten Commandments, read some of the other scriptures, examine yourself and ask yourself these questions. Do I have this symptom? Do I react whenever somebody pushes me a little bit? Do I have doubts? Uh, Do I resent somebody telling me I ought to do something? These are all symptoms of spiritual heart disease that could get worse if we're not aware We need to recognize the cause and symptoms of spiritual heart disease. They come from outside. Satan is there trying to push us. We need to focus on what God wants us to see in our hearts and in our minds and our actions. We need to focus on what we can do to prevent spiritual heart disease, which could take our eternal life if we're not careful. Brethren, as we go through the Passover and the Days of Unleavened Bread, let's follow God's instruction. Let's strive to become men and women, young men and young women, and kids after God's own heart.